in today's episode, we're going to explore learning and dig into what evidence-based research tells us about what helps us learn new concepts. As we were developing this episode, we were initially thinking about those people who attend our workshops or forums, but much of this material is applicable if you're doing some part-time study yourself, or if you have children or friends doing more formal study at school or university. We hear lots of people talking about all kinds of things when it comes to improving our ability to learn. And you can check out our recent Mythbuster episode for examples of what doesn't work. A couple of years ago, I read a post on Donald Clark's blog and was inspired to do some more reading about learning. It was this sentence that really inspired me. Learners are delusional when it comes to judgments about their own learning. We'll put a link to that blog in the show notes. It's a great line, and unfortunately, the research is there to back it up exactly as Donald Clark says. When it comes to learning, we tend to think we know what helps us learn. All night as anyone, cramming, rereading and highlighting textbooks. Maybe it's just me, John, but it was eye-opening to start reading some of the research and to realise that I had been studying wrong all my life. I could be exaggerating, but seriously, let's go through five things that help people learn, starting with two that have the most support of all from research. John, take it away. Thanks, Denise. And don't worry, many of us have fallen into that trap. There are two things that learning research has agreed upon over the decades, spaced practice and retrieval practice. Let's look at spaced practice first. As the name implies, this is distributing your learning over time. So stop thinking you can learn it all at once and then it's magically caught inside your head. So as we now know, Denise, cramming the night before the exam isn't an effective learning strategy. Instead, we should revise the material over time, such as after one day, one week, then at one month, three months, and then at six months if we really want it to sink in. In the context of exams, the research shows that the benefits of spaced practice kick in after a delay. If you plan ahead and do the space practice, ideally you'd then sit the exam a day or two after the last time you've practiced. Why is space practice important? Well, apparently it's because we're boosting our storage strength, which means we're more likely to retrieve it later. The second element is retrieval practice. This is about recalling information over and over again, but spaced out as we outlined a minute ago. This helps strengthen our memory. And the best way of doing this? By doing tests. Ugh, this bit isn't quite so good, but remember, we're delusional about our learning. So there are lots of different ways of doing this, but one is writing questions on palm cards with the correct answer on the back, perhaps just as a list of bullet points. Testing allows you to practice retrieving information in the way you would during the exam. If the exam asked you to highlight the important elements on the page, then highlighting the sentences in the textbook would be useful, but unfortunately, that's not how any of the exams I've sat have actually worked. So we need to practice for what we'll be asked to do during the exam. A series of quick practice tests can force us to practice getting that information back out of our head. And the results are clear in the research. This does help people learn. That sounds so true, Denise. It's fascinating to hear what actually works. There's a couple of key resources which are well worth having a read through. The first is a book called Make It Stick, 
The Science of Successful Learning by Brown, Grodegudger and McDaniel. I remember you asking me a few years ago if I'd read that and I confidently said yes and that it was one of the best books I've ever read. <laughs> but then as you started to then talk about the principles, it dawned on me that I'd confused that with the made to stick why some ideas survive and others die by the Heath brothers. Anyway, I then bought the one you'd suggested and found it full of really useful information. The second resource is a book called Understanding How We Learn, a visual guide by Weinstein and Siraki. As usual, we'll put links into these resources in the show notes. So we've covered space practice and retrieval practice. Now I want to touch on a third idea, interleaving or mixing it up. This is basically switching between ideas or types of problems instead of single-mindedly focusing on one thing for too long. Again, the research is clear uh, and you switch around even before you've completely covered one topic or before you think you've got it. It makes your brain work and that's great for learning. An example is that if you have a process of 10 steps you're teaching people, um, typically you would start at one and work through to 10. Interleaving means maybe practicing step one a few times and going to step three, then step seven, and so on. Basically building a series of exercises that circle around the key skills. The thing with this is that it feels slower to learn and people don't necessarily like it. But remember, the research says that it is effective, so you do need to stick with it. The fourth idea is elaboration. This is embracing the difficult, and trying to come up with the answer yourself without being told it. The key thing here is you have to know some of the background or skills to be able to try and come up with the answers yourself. As long as you get corrective feedback when you've taken a wrong turn, forcing your brain to work leads to more learning in the long run. An example is when you're learning a new concept, take the time to stop and ask yourself questions about how and why things work. In the Understanding How We Learn book, they give examples of using how and why questions. One is learning about the Pearl Harbor attack. The questions are, how did this attack happen? Why did this happen? What was the result of this historic event? And why is this event important? The goal is always to help you explain the main concepts of whatever you're learning. And a fifth idea is that of always seeking feedback. This is one thing that has stood out for me, primarily because I tend to think of feedback as being negative, like the grade from a test or an exam. But what the learning research says is that seeking corrective feedback helps you learn. And an example in the book, Making It Stick, uh, talks about working alongside a more experienced partner. And there's lots of ways that happens in the world, such as first officers flying planes with captains who are more experienced pilots you know, alongside them. And I've been thinking about how to do this as an enabler of change. And it's taking advantage of situations to get feedback from colleagues wherever you can. I've been co-facilitating, for example, and asking for feedback with that colleague. Another example is the APEN mentoring scheme, where you can be paired with someone who has more experience than you in a particular area. Of course, this doesn't have to be from an older person to a younger one. A proficient social media user could mentor an older person wanting to use those tools more effectively. So we've touched on five concepts that can help people learn. What can we take away from this as enablers of change? Well, for me, the first thing is to remember that giving people what they think they need isn't necessarily going to help them learn. 
remember that we're delusional about our own learning. This isn't a license to torture people though, but it is being clear about why you might be running a workshop in a particular way or moving them on to the next step because you know that interleaving helps and that you'll come back to what you were just covering anyway. Great point, John. A second thing for me is that doing short quizzes or check-ins with people is helping them retrieve information and helping identify gaps in their knowledge. Now, as we're mostly dealing with adults, the trick is to make sure that this doesn't look or sound like something bad that happened to you at school. So we need to make quizzes fun and just part of how you do things. That's right, Denise. And the last thing to remember is that drowning people with information isn't helpful. Lab Wilson, a facilitator and trainer in New Zealand, says that we need to focus on topping up, not tipping in. Remember, people come up with their own experiences. A good adult learning principle is to start by finding out what they already know, rather than assuming you have to tell them everything. So you've heard our thoughts on learning and some ideas we've picked up from the research in this area. Now we'd like to hear yours. We don't want this just to be a one-way conversation, so join in by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. Add a comment below this episode and tell us what you've learned from the research on learning and what have you used in your day-to-day -day practice that has helped. Thanks folks for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. Remember to tell your friends if you've liked what you've heard, so we can get more people into the conversation about enabling change. All the best until we meet again.